In this episode, I am joined by Professor Mary Gentili, creator and author of Giving Voice to Values, or GVV. The conversation provides a glimpse of what GVV is all about and its value to members, middle managers, and senior leaders. Professor Gentili shares her leadership journey that led her to work on values-driven and ethical leadership and recalls her experiences in working on GVV with different individuals and organizations in several industries. As she emphasizes, GVV is asking a different question from what is the right thing to do to once you know what is right, how can we get it done effectively? I hope this episode will encourage you to learn more about GVV and you can visit her website at www.givingvoicetovalues.org to find out more. Good morning for Professor uh, Mary and good evening from the Philippines. So I'm Reg, this is the Rumble Podcast, and this evening or slash morning, um, we'll be discussing giving voice to values. And we're very honored, or I am very honored to have uh, Professor Mary joining me today, the creator of GVV. And this is something that is very close to my heart at the moment, because this is the whole theme of my podcast. And at the heart of Rumble, it's actually trying to normalize, acting on our values, giving voice to our values, and trying to just become a better leader for, for the next generation. So to start, perhaps um, ask Professor Mary to walk us through her leadership journey and what inspired you specifically to get into this line of work or this line of career. Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I uh, uh, began my professional career working at Harvard Business School in business education. And my work there was writing cases and then hiring um, other uh, folks to write cases and managing the research team. And I did that for a few years and I realized that it, it wasn't satisfying enough to me. I wanted to do something where I felt like I was making a positive impact. And I went to my bosses and I said, you know, this has been fun, thank you very much, but I think I'm going to move on. And they said, why? And I said, well, because I want to do something that feels like it's more meaningful, you know, to me personally, that I feel like I can make some sort of impact. And they said, well, we're about to be developing a new uh, values-driven leadership, ethical leadership program. Would you like to work on that? And so I said, yes. So that's sort of how I got into this. Um, but then I, I worked with a group of, of faculty and researchers and students, and we developed the curriculum and I taught it. Um, and I began to feel uh, sort of disillusioned, somewhat discouraged. I was, I was uh, you know, uh, working both at Harvard, but also sharing what we were doing with other, uh, other business schools. And um, I began to feel that the way we were approaching values, values-driven leadership and ethics, I began to feel that it was, it was uh, not working, um, you know, that it was a, a little bit futile <laughs> and sometimes a little hypocritical. And I, I felt okay. that way because we focused on the issues as if they were entirely questions of uh, intellectual understanding mm -hmm. that we needed to give people decision-making frameworks um, mm -hmm. so that they would know what is right. And what I was seeing over and over again was that although of course there were some circumstances where it wasn't clear what was right, that often there were situations where, where managers knew what they thought the right thing to do was, but they just didn't think it was possible. 
And so I began mm-hmm. to think that by focusing on these issues as if they were only cognitive, they were only intellectual decision-making challenges, we were actually giving people practice in how to rationalize anything, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And we weren't yeah. actually teaching them the skills and the confidence and the habit and the comfort um, to be able to more skillfully enact their values and voice their values in a way that would be effective and that wouldn't be uh, necessarily destructive to their careers um, and that mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily be destructive to their organizations. You know, we often think of it as yeah. if it's just about whistleblowing and you're, you know, you're getting the enemy. And, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. people really care about their organizations. They just want them to operate ethically and in a values-driven way. So that's kind of my frustration and what I was trying to do. You were saying about your leadership journey and how um, you found there was a gap in that you thought of um, teaching leadership in a sense that it's all cognitive, it's all um, rationalizing. And this is something that I also would resonate with because for the longest time, um, when leadership is taught to us, it sets aside this idea of emotions or dealing with frustration and the negative emotions that you feel when you're in a very difficult situation. And oftentimes um, we're taught to, you know, use our head to rationalize it or to just think of it in a more normative or more cognitive way. Um, but I realized when I was go- when I was in the workforce, most of the dilemma that I had to encounter, or I had encountered, uh, also dealt with so much emotions. Uh, the trigger was more of um, emotionally. And the difficulty there is now, what do you do? What do you do about it? What do you do in a situation where you're caught up between values conflict? And you know there's something wrong, but if it costs your job or if, if, if the stakes are very high, what do you actually do? And that's why I think your, your leadership journey and later on when we dig deeper into GVV, uh, why it was very practical for me, or I, f- I saw it as something very practical when it comes to, to leadership. Given that you've been working on this for quite some time already, I'm wondering what keeps you going in this particular field or what, what is driving you to continue promoting and educating leaders on GVV? Yeah, I, I guess there are a couple things, Raj. Um, I think Initially, I got into this work because um, I was the kind of person where I I saw things that I thought weren't right or weren't fair. I think we all do, you know, but I also saw myself as someone who was uh, somewhat introverted and um, a little bit uh, risk averse, you know, not necessarily (laughs) someone who was really comfortable with argument or confrontation. And Mm -hmm. so I I felt frustrated because I felt like, well, I'm doomed to see things I think are wrong, but to not say anything. And then I feel bad about myself because I haven't figured out a way to change things. And so one of the things that drives me and drove me was because, you know, I wanted to resolve that tension, um, right? Um, The other thing is that I began to see in the work that I was doing, and, you know, I talk about a lot of stories in in my book, but I began to see that there were people who found ways to voice and act on their values, and they weren't always 
you know, extroverted, um, aggressive um, (laughs) people, you know, sometimes they were like me, (laughs) you know, Mm. but I realized (laughs) they did it in different ways, you know, they maybe asked some good questions, or they maybe talked to someone who talked to someone who could talk about an issue, or they maybe did some research and reframed the whole problem altogether, you know. And so I started to realize, well, there's more ways to do this. And so part of what drove me was the sense that maybe I can find a way to solve my personal problem, which was that I had this conflict. But then the other thing is that I began to see research in a lot of different areas that suggested that if you want to have an impact on your own behavior or on the other people's behavior through training or education, that um, rehearsal and practice and pre-scripting um, were, and peer coaching were effective ways to do this. And I began to see research that suggested that a lot of it was about creating habits, you know, um, and actually normalizing this challenge. It's not, it's not exceptional. It's not like we go through our whole lives and there's two days when we encounter values conflicts. We yeah. have little values yeah. conflicts every day and mm-hmm. bigger ones mm-hmm. every, you know, not that rarely. And so the question became, how do we, how do we bring the emotion down? You know, so it's not this sort of, oh my God, <laughs> you know, yeah. Uh, they say, I, I don't know if you use the expression in the Philippines, but you know, a deer in headlight moment, you know, it's like you freeze, you know? Yeah. And instead of feeling that way to make it more normal and less emotional. And what that means is that then when I raise the issue, I don't have to accuse you of being evil. You know, I yeah. can raise it in a more normal way and, you know, have a conversation about it, dialogue. So those are some of the kinds of things that I was trying to address. And those are some of the things that drove me, you know. Plus, I think the more I found people who did this effectively and successfully and normally, that was inspiring, you know. And then the other thing is when I hear from people who, you know, read my book or studied my work in their in their programs, in their companies or their school and they then used it, that's obviously very satisfying. Maybe you could give us, in a nutshell, what giving voice to values is, especially for our listeners who may not be familiar with GVV. Um, So walk us through what GVV is. Sure, happy to do that. So, you know, I always tell people, if you don't remember anything else about what giving voice to values or GVV is, um, that it's about asking and answering a new question when it comes to values and ethics in our lives and in our businesses and organizations. So the usual question, the typical question is, what's the right thing to do in any particular situation? What Giving Voice to Values focuses on is, once you know what's right, how can you get it done effectively? So that's really the heart of it. We're asking and answering a different question. Instead of asking what's right, Mm -hmm. we're asking how do you get the right thing done? And once you've shifted the question that way, it opens up a whole lot of possibilities because a lot of times if you ask people what's right, we, we know from the research that at some unconscious level, we know that it may be hard to act on our values. And so we respond emotionally. We kind of just put our heads down and, and do what's easiest. 
And then we rationalize after the fact why that was the only thing we could have done or even why it was yeah. the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying to do is to literally rewire that automatic connection so that when we encounter values conflicts, the automatic emotional response is one where we have sort of um, um, examples, memories, practice, mm -hmm. different options so that we actually feel more empowered because we've seen stories of other people who've been in these situations and found effective strategies to act on their mm -hmm. values or because we've rehearsed it with our peers. Um, mm -hmm. I call it the giving voice to values thought experiment. So I don't really ask people, here's, here's an ethical challenge, what would you do? Because if I ask you that, you're probably going to react emotionally, like I said, yeah. and then rationalize mm -hmm. why it was the right thing. So instead, I ask, here's somebody who already has decided what he or she thinks is right, and this is it. How could they get it done effectively? So I'm inviting you to problem solve and to action plan and to pre-script and to reframe the challenge. I'm not asking you to commit to it yet. I'm just asking you to think creatively about how might you get it done. Um, and what I've found through doing this is that you know, we, we all know what kinds of pushback, what kinds of objections, what kinds of right. rationalizations we might face. So you start identifying them and you start unpacking them. You start practicing ways that you might respond to them. You might looking, start looking at a challenge and finding a way to frame it so that it's less about accusing someone of being unethical and it's more about, look, this is a, a better option. So you start helping people to rehearse and create this, this habit. I call it a moral muscle memory. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're doing is enabling them. And so really what Giving Voice to Values is at its heart, it's a, it's a leadership development approach. And, it's, and instead of asking people to reason through what's right, we ask people to uh, action plan and prescript and practice how to act effectively mm -hmm. and ethically that once we've reframed it this way and we created all of these materials and curriculum, you know, cases and videos and online programs and, you know, all of this stuff, it's been catching on very rapidly. It's being used all over the world. It's been used literally on all seven continents, including the mm -hmm. Antarctic. And although I created wow. it, yeah, and although I created it for business school, it's also being used in companies. This morning, I was speaking to a, a, a small service provider in India. Tomorrow, I'll be talking to a large pharmaceutical firm, global pharmaceutical oh. firm. Uh, in December, I was working with the US military. You know, so you know, it's being used all over the place um, in different ways and, and also being applied to different industries, whether it's healthcare or law or engineering or, or whatever. That's why I think um, GVV is very practical because it's not yeah. just limited in one industry or in one sector. And the practicality of it actually could be used in different scenarios, in different circumstances, and in, in, in different organizations with different culture and different values. Um, and I also would resonate with the idea of um, rehearsing it or thinking of ways, thinking of creative ways on how to act on your values. Because oftentimes when we ask that question, what the right thing to do is, we're limited to two options. In my perspective, we're limited to two options. It's either we act on it or we just keep silent. 
Right. Uh, and oftentimes, when we think of that, it's a zero-sum game. So we think, okay, this might, you know, this might uh, end my career, or I might not get that promotion, or I might not, you know, find the way to redeem myself later on. So oftentimes, people are, and in my perspective, in my experience as well, uh, going into the workforce, this is something that I also was having a dilemma on. Um, and oftentimes, I would just rem- keep silent. And the difficulty there is once you're f- you're full already or once that you have reached your threshold where, okay, this is not right anymore, and then you snap, and then people around you would think, oh, why is that person just saying it now? We've yeah. been doing this for the longest time. Why yeah. is that person not yeah. saying anything? All of a sudden. <laughs> uh, so now, all of a sudden, so now the issue becomes what triggered this person instead of, what is the real issue? What is the real problem um, from an organizational perspective? So that's something that, looking back at my experiences, that's something that I want to avoid. Um, and that's why GVV really gave me that, that tool. And it was really a tool. And the creativeness of it um, also empowers me personally, because it's not just, as you mentioned, it's not just about being assertive. It's not just being um, argumentative about it. For me, I was a debater in high school and in college. I was trained to defend myself. I was trained to look at the rationality and look at the best argument to win that debate. But in reality, and when you're in that situation, in that values conflict, it's not, it's not the best argument, but it's the best framing sometimes that would help people understand where you're coming from. And that reframing actually also helped me out. And I think it helps organization because you're able to frame it at a higher uh, higher perspective as well. Uh, in your book, you mentioned what is the organizational or institutional problem uh, that enables or breeds this particular problem or this particular values conflict. And in reframing that, you're also helping the organization find the way on how to improve itself. Um, so that's something that I just want to share because it really, it's something that I resonated with and I really had that connection. So now that we have an idea what GVV is and um, you, you've gave us uh, a, a walkthrough, if, if an individual would like or would want to consider GVV, uh, what is necessary or what is entailed? What needs to change or what do we need to develop as individuals? Right. So I think there's a number of ways to respond to that very good question. So the first thing I'll say is, yes, Giving Voice to Values, GVV, does focus on enabling, empowering, uh, training the individual. Um, As as you know, because you've worked in organizations, as your audience, I'm sure, knows, a lot of values issues are not just individual issues. Often they're organizational or systemic, you know, and so one individual cannot necessarily change a whole organization or change a system in which that organization is operating. But usually when people point that out, they'll say, therefore, we can't do anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. what, What I try to say is that no, Systems do change over time, if you look at, 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 at that, and organizations can change over time. And the only way they change is through individual action. <laughs> so in mm-hmm. other words, it's not that one individual is going to change the whole system or the whole organization, but it is the beginning of the process. So you have to address a system systemically. You have to address an organization organizationally but it's individuals who will work together to create a series of of incremental steps uh, over time 
and, and in coalition and with allies to make those changes. So that's the first thing I would say is that we're not off the hook just because it's mm -hmm. an organizational or a systemic issue. Right. But then your bigger question was, so how does an individual begin to develop these skills and this ability? And what I like to point out to people is that it's, it's actually not rocket science, you know, that we can look at our lives and, and we can think about when are there times when I have found an effective way to persuade someone of something else or to influence something. It might have been specifically around a values or ethical issue. It might have even been about something else. But when have I been effective at changing something? And and think about well, what what enabled me to be effective? What what is my strength? What are my best skills? How am I most comfortable communicating and acting and influencing and persuading? Am I best one on one? Am I best in writing? Am I best mm -hmm. through debate? You know, an argumentation like when you were in school, or am I best in a kind of more questioning and and mm -hmm. and sort of drawing out kind of way? And so, first of all, understand what your strengths are, what you're most comfortable doing, what you would do most naturally, mm -hmm. and then when you encounter a values conflict, try and frame it in a way that it plays to your strengths. So, if you are someone who really feels more comfortable. Um, asking questions will then frame the challenge in a way that will enable you to draw out new perspectives through asking questions. If you're more comfortable in writing, then frame the challenge in a way where you can create a, a, a memo or a script. I, I worked, I, I interviewed one woman once who told me about a situation where her, she was a senior manager in a company and she said her, her manager um, had a meeting with the senior team and he proposed that he wanted to do something that she thought was clearly wrong, clearly unethical, <laughs> but he really wanted to do it, right? And so everybody in the meeting, all the other senior executives were going along with it. And she thought it was wrong, but she, she said, I'm not very comfortable confronting a whole group. And I don't think that fast on my feet. I wasn't quite sure how to argue with it, you know? And so she said, she just didn't say anything. And then afterwards she was uncomfortable about it. This was at the end of the day. And so she, she thought to herself, how, how do I feel most comfortable making arguments? And how am I most effective? And she realized she's most effective in a, in a written form with a logical data-driven argument, right? Mm -hmm. But then she said, well, how have I, when have I ever seen my CEO change his mind? What, what influences him? And she said, she realized that he was more likely to be influenced by you know, a compelling sort of even emotion driven story, you know, mm -hmm. that was in the moment verbal yeah. and all of that. And so mm -hmm. she said, you know, we, we operate in different ways. So she, mm -hmm. she did this, she said, she, she was at the end of the day. So people had gone home. So she left a message for him where she said, you know, I know we decided to do X, you know, whatever the thing was in our meeting later, you know, to this evening, but um, I have some concerns about it that I think it's important to share with you before, before you move forward. Um, and so can I just have five, 10 minutes of your time tomorrow morning? And so she left that message and then she went home and she did what she does best. She wrote the logical data-driven written memo explaining what her concerns were and why. And then she went into the meeting the next morning with this memo and she told him 
a compelling story about why he should read her memo. <laughs> mm -hmm. So she was more comfortable right. sharing that story because it wasn't a complex argument that she was mm -hmm. going to get into that she would feel uncomfortable with. But she was able to motivate him to read her memo. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he changed his mind. And so what was interesting about that is that she found a way to, to both know what her own strengths are and to use them, but to also understand how the person she was trying to influence operated and to find a way to make it easier for him to hear her argument. And so that's what we would do with Giving Voice to Values is we would help people understand what their own strengths are and then help them understand how do you frame a situation in a way that will be most comfortable and effective for you to voice and act. And then we rehearse. The whole idea behind yeah. GVV is simply rehearsal, <laughs> practice, peer yeah. coaching, you know? So you build this sort of habit, this kind of comfort, this, as I call it, a moral muscle memory. Mm -hmm. um, but have you had um, stories um, or experiences where people came up to you and said, you know, GVV is not applicable in my culture or GVV is not applicable in my organization because that's not something that we actually can do. So have you had stories about that and what was your response to those situations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I've done work in the Philippines. Um, actually, I've met with groups of companies there and I actually have uh, uh, shared GVV at, at AIM, at the Asian Institute mm -hmm. of Management in Manila. Yeah. And I've also done work in other parts of the world, in, in China, in India, in Africa, in Russia, in the Middle East. And sometimes we will hear and also in the West, you know, certain companies, you know, where you will hear exactly what you just said. I actually have found that um, there's a few things I need to do, uh, especially mm -hmm. when I'm going into a different culture from my own. I'm, I'm, I'm a US citizen. So mm -hmm. the first thing I have to do is I have to um, acknowledge the reality of the context, right? I remember going to India one time to share this with a group of entrepreneurs and a group of faculty who taught entrepreneurship. And they all were, you know, very polite, but they said, you know, madam, we're delighted that you're here. Um, but, you know, this isn't going to be relevant to us because we're entrepreneurs and this mm -hmm. is India and we can't even get a driver's license without paying a bribe. So this really isn't relevant for us, but we're, we're happy to listen, you know? And so the, I learned that what I had to do was first, I had to acknowledge the reality of their context, the truth of their context. And so, you know, I said, look, I've been to India 10, 12 times. I know what you're saying is true. You know, I've experienced it myself, you know, not for a driver's license, mm -hmm. but for other things, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I'm not denying your reality, number one. Number two, but I also know from my colleagues and friends here in India, that you're not always happy about that, you know, that, mm -hmm. that you don't like being stopped by a police person who says you were speeding when you weren't, and that I'm not going to let you go unless you pay me a bribe and you need to get to school to pick up your kid. You're not happy about that, you know, even if it happens, you're not delighted about it. And so the so the second thing is that you start from a position of respect where you say, look, I I know you have values. I'm not here to tell you, I'm gonna to preach to you, you, you need to have values. I know you have them, I know you're, but I also know given the context that we just talked about, it's not always easy to act on them. So you do this, that's the second thing, starting from that position of respect. The third thing 
is that you then explain to them uh, what I just explained to you and your audience, which is mm. that giving voice to values is about asking and answering a different question. It's about the thought experiment that I'm not going to ask you, what would you do? I'm going to ask you, what if you wanted to find a way to act mm -hmm. on your values in these situations? And what that does is it brings the emotion down, it brings the anxiety down, mm -hmm. and it triggers people's sort of uh, creativity, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's safer. Um, and they can actually engage with what you're talking about rather than having to defend themselves. And then the fourth thing is that I always try and have an example of someone who did this effectively in the culture or the organization or the industry I'm in. So in this example in India, I had a, a case, a video with a, an Indian uh, entrepreneur who had actually purchased an Indian company uh, from a multinational firm and the company was quite corrupt and, and nearly bankrupt. And in the space of two years, this gentleman, this Indian gentleman had turned it around to be financially quite successful, but also seen as an example of clean operating. And so that does two things. It, it triggers a sense of pride, you know, well, they yeah. did it here, I can do it here. And it also mm -hmm. triggers a little bit of competition, you know, if we can do it, why can't I do it, right? And then the, the fifth thing I do is I always explain that the voice in giving voice to values is a metaphor. So it doesn't mean going to your boss and shaking your fist and telling him or her that they're wrong yeah. or evil. It might mean, as we said earlier, asking a question or writing a memo or talking to someone who talks to someone or reframing the whole challenge. So I find that when I start framing all those things, I've found uh, an audience in many different cultures. I remember meeting a number of years ago with a group of about 50 representatives from uh, Philippine companies when I was in Manila. And they were all talking about a new initiative that was a, a kind of code of conduct that they were mm -hmm. all being asked to sign on to. And one of the, uh, one of the items in this code was uh, against paying bribes. And, you know, they were saying, well, you know, in our culture, there's a sort of expectation of gift giving as a sign of respect mm -hmm. and gratitude. And, you know, so it's difficult, you know, we don't necessarily see it as a bribe, but, you yeah. know, if we want to operate with Western countries, it, and it can be a bribe sometimes, but it, mm -hmm. you know, it depends. And so, you know, what the conversation we began engaging in after they heard a bit about what giving voice to values was, was, you know, not about, oh, you're wrong and unethical because you want to express gratitude in this way, or because your, your, your culture says that's a way to express respect and gratitude, but rather, given the context you're operating in, this kind of behavior can be misinterpreted as a bribe. And so let's think about how can you find a way to, um, to operate that will still um, um, express the kinds of respect and gratitude that is culturally expected and in fact positive, but will, will, will not function as, as a bribe. And so people started thinking creatively and they started you know, thinking about other ways to communicate with their partners. And they start, and so what happened is they were problem solving about how to express my cultural values in a way that won't be misinterpreted rather 
than being told your cultural values are unethical, you know? Right. It was a very right. different mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. And they, and I mean, I didn't know the answer to how to do this, but the, the company, the Filipino companies in the room understood the challenge and they began sharing creative examples. So that's kind of how we think about that, mm -hmm. that question. Mm -hmm. um, that, and that as you mentioned a while ago, yeah, yeah, that, that's actually a, an amazing answer to that, that complex question. <laughs> In the heart of it, one thing that this particular podcast is trying to, trying to promote as well is leading with courage and finding that voice or finding that creative way. In my perspective, or the assumption that I'm working with is that you need a certain level of courage. You need courage to be able to find a way on how to um, find that creative um, way of voicing your values or telling other people that this is not right and this is something that we could address using uh, certain problem-solving um, techniques. But in your book, uh, you actually mentioned that it could also be propelled by a certain level of fear or fear that would push that person to do something about what's happening. And can you elaborate on this particular concept or this particular idea and how this idea can be useful in making the GVV more imaginable for those who are driven by fear or those who say that, you know, courage is not my cup of tea. I just want <laughs> to sit here and do my job, but I also know I need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So, let me just first say that I think courage is a good thing. <laughs> and, and I think that it's sometimes necessary, right? But right. I also, I tend to frame giving voice to values as less about moral courage and more about moral competence. Um, because if I find, if I tell you, you have to have moral courage, um, a lot of people will say, well, that's nice, but it's not me. You know, they'll yes, kind of yes. disqualify themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the things I try to do is to say, it's as like I was saying earlier, is to understand what, what makes you feel comfortable and competent and then help you frame a challenge in a way that will play to those strengths. So I, I'll give you an example. I remember um, talking to a guy, he was a real estate developer and he had told me a story about standing up you know, to some fraud in his industry. And when mm -hmm. I asked him, you know, why he was able to do that, how he did that. He said, oh, I've always been kind of a risk taker and kind of aggressive. And I thought, why not take a, a risk in the service of something that matters to me? Mm -hmm. So that's moral courage, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then I remember talking to a woman who was working in investment banking, and she told me a story about um, saying no to a good friend who was asking her to share some proprietary information with him, and he worked for a competitor firm. And she said, no. And she said her friend was shocked because he said, you know, you're such, I know you're a people pleaser. You always do whatever anyone asks. I can't believe you said no to me. And when I asked her about that, she said, oh yes, I typically would do anything for anyone. But she said, in this case, she said, I've always been kind of a conservative, even fearful person, risk averse. And to me saying no was a safer option. And so what I realized is if I asked her to be courageous, she would say, well, that's nice, but it's not me. And if I asked that real estate developer to be more conservative, more mm -hmm. even fearful, he'd say, well, that's nice, but it's not me. Yeah. And so what I realized is that you have to understand yourself and figure out what motivates me, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why I call it moral competence, because you understand 
what works for you and you understand how to make that work for others. And so that's, that's what I mean when I talk about fear and courage. Yeah. So most of the things that we've talked about so far on GVV is uh, people who want to do something or people who want to act on their values. But what would be the case if you were on the other end? You were the one receiving this moral, this, this uh, particular memo, or you're the one receiving this particular dialogue or this particular uh, message from another peer or another coworker, or even your people under you. And I think it's also important to have a conversation on what would you do if you are on the other end of the, the stick, because it's also difficult. I, I would imagine it would also be difficult for that person to receive a memo and saying all the things that that person might be doing wrong and unknowingly doing wrong. So in your work so far, have you had that conversation um, or have you somehow incorporated that in GVV? Yeah, it's a great question. Yes, we have. And we've realized that when we're working with more senior leaders or even just managers, that um, it's, it's, it has a lot of similarities, rehearsal practice, peer coaching are still useful, but the questions are a little different. So the way we talk about it is we talk about GVV at the top, but it doesn't necessarily mean the, it can be the very top, but it can simply be a, a middle manager, you know, who's managing somebody. But we talk about GVV at the top as having three components. The first component is um, that you still may need to uh, convince your peers, your other managers or your other senior executives um, of something, but you're working with the people who are at your same level as opposed to people who are above you in the hierarchy. And so you still can use the same skills of rehearsal and pre-scripting and peer coaching for that purpose, but you probably are going to frame things in a way that you want to convince them, but you want to be able to still have a collegial relationship with them and help them feel that you, you still respect them and you can work with them. And so GVV is still useful, but it's about talking laterally and not necessarily up um, in the organization. So that's the first thing for senior leaders. The second thing is if you're a leader, you're also responsible for creating and, and encouraging a culture that makes it easier for people who report to you to raise these issues, you know? And some of that has to do with, you know, using GVV style training and, and practice and rehearsal. But the third thing and the most important one and the one that I think gets to what you're talking about, or maybe not the most important one, but the one that gets more to what you're talking about is that um, GVV for leaders or managers is also about how do you hear it? How do you respond? How do you listen? when someone raises this issue to you. And rehearsal and pre-scripting and practice are effective there as well. Because if, if, I'm, if, you're, if I'm working for you and I bring you this kind of issue, you may feel that it's an accusation. It, it's never good news, right? It, it's always time consuming. It's sometimes right. expensive. Um, it may feel very critical, you know, all of these things. And so there can be a tendency to want to kill the messenger. <laughs> and so part of what we do <laughs> with leaders is we say, you know, we'll give you some scenarios. They're same as the kind of giving voice to value scenarios where here's something that the protagonist knows is wrong and they're going to try and raise it. But what I'll ask you is how could someone raise this issue with you in a way that would make it easier 
for you to respond effectively. So you're not being cast as a villain. You're being cast as someone who has conflicting pressures. <laughs> and the problem is, mm -hmm. what can I say and do in that moment? And can I rehearse that? So part of it is self-management, you know, to bring your own emotion down so you don't get defensive. And rehearsal is a way to do that. Part of it is, if I come to you and I say, this is really wrong and you need to fix it, you know, I might be wrong. I might not have all the information. I'm, I might have an ax to grind, as they say, you know, I might be wrong. So you need to do your own due diligence, your own investigation. But often when leaders say that, the person who's raising the issue, me, will feel like you're just, you're just pushing me aside. You're not you're just making excuses. You're not really gonna take me seriously. So part of what yeah. we're doing with GVV then is creating a script, a way of communicating that I can hear that you are taking it seriously, but you also have a responsibility to do some of your own research. So you can pre-script and rehearse that, you know? And then you can also rehearse, you know, thanking people and and um, telling them you'll keep them informed to the degree that you can so that they know that this hasn't just gone into the void. I remember working with a group of managers in Nigeria um, for Unilever. And I had a group of middle managers and I also had the senior leadership team. And we introduced them all to giving voice to values. And then we gave them some scenarios, some GVV scenarios, which as I said earlier, were post-decision-making. The protagonist knew what was right, but he or she had to figure out a way to convince yeah. someone. And we had the middle managers talk about how will I raise it, the usual GVV question. But we had the senior leaders sit at their own table and look at the same scenario. And their question was, how could someone raise this with me in a way that would make it easier for me to respond appropriately and to hear it? So when we came back to debrief, they sort of started engaging in a sort of natural social contracting where the middle managers were saying, well, if you didn't kill the messenger and if you, you know, let me know you appreciated this, you know, all of these things that would make it easier yeah. for me to raise it. And the senior leaders started saying, well, if you made an appointment instead of grabbing me in the hall and drunk, dropping this on me, and if you actually uh, came in with some ideas about how to solve it so that even if we didn't do those things, I felt like you weren't accusing me of being evil. You were actually engaging me in a joint problem solving. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, mm -hmm. and so they ended up coming up right. with, I will do this if you will do that, you know, and, and it ended up being a much more constructive conversation. But it was the same idea of rehearsing and pre-scripting and practicing. And I think that's what um, I also want to emphasize in this is that we have to make it more deliberate. Um, we make things, we, we make uh, GVV more, more deliberate in the sense that we practice it, we rehearse it, we discuss it in our organizations, because this is not something that comes out naturally, because the natural response in a heated argument, for instance, is just to lash out and just, you know, accuse people of what they're doing wrong. Uh, but in this way that we try to really incorporate GVV in the workplace and make it more deliberate, trying to make it a problem-solving um, exercise, then we are able to find more, again, creative ways or other options as to how to address the values conflict or any other um, conflict that we're experiencing in the workplace. Um, so that's something that I, I really appreciate with GVV. And when we were doing cases as well um, in AIM and bridging leadership, this is something that I really appreciated because 
made me thought of, okay, if I was in that situation, what would I do? And what would the, my manager say? What would my boss say? And how would I respond to that? So it's, it's really empowering. I would say it really is empowering because it gives you that leeway or that space to express yourself and not be fearful about the, the consequences. Of course, you have to consider the consequences. But at the same time, you're in that level where the consequences is also something that you would consider and you would think of so that when it really comes, you would know how to respond to it. Um, so maybe as we move forward, and as you mentioned, you've been doing this in a lot of countries, you've been doing this in a lot of organizations. Uh, what is left to do with, uh, as far as GVV is concerned? And again, um, and I think you mentioned this already a while ago, but I just want to emphasize, if there's one lesson in giving voice to values that you wish, of course, there are a lot of lessons that we could take from it, but if there's one lesson that you wish most of the next generation leaders would remember, what would that be? I guess I always tell people that um, what I hope they will walk away with is the idea that you probably have more choices. So when you're in a situation, don't assume that you just have to do X. But actually, there are probably more choices than you think. And you can you know, use the GVV materials and approach, and you can mm -hmm. talk to people, and you can do some research and reading. But um, if people, I want people to, to feel empowered and to feel like they have more choices. And I also want people to understand that if you assume that the persons or the people that you're trying to influence are not necessarily unwilling or unable to change, it will open up your ability to be creative, you know? Um, right. And so that's, that's my main message, you know? I would encourage people to, you know, go to the websites and read the book and, you know, yeah. look at that. But, you know, I, I think that's the main. Mm -hmm. So what's, uh, what's left to do as far as uh, GVV is concerned, your work on GVV is concerned? What else yeah, do we, well, you know, uh, what endless. else are you planning to do? Yeah. Well, it's endless, you know, I mean, I think that this approach is, it's not something that you just learn and then you're done. It's something that we just have to keep rehearsing and it's like a skill, right? You get better and better and better at it. If you're a musician, you don't figure, oh, I've, I've learned how to play the violin. I'm done. You know, you just keep playing, you know? And so I think that what I'm trying to do through my work with the books that we we have a giving voice to values book series with Rutledge publishing and with the curriculum at givingvoicetovalues.org and with the online um, MOOC at Coursera and with the online modules at Nomadic with all of these things we're trying to get more people to keep practicing keep rehearsing I'm trying to get more organizations to build it into their own uh, training and not just ethics training, but leadership development, because it's really about being a values driven yeah. leader. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the companies that use GVV like it for that reason, because they realize this is going to make me more skillful at everything I do. You know, I'm working with KPMG right now, you know, the auditing and consulting firm. And that's mm -hmm. one of the things that really attracts them is that there's a that it's really about values-driven leadership. Um, and I'm also, you know, beginning to work with other industries, as I mentioned earlier, you know, healthcare and law and engineering, the military. Um, I'd like to do more work with the public sector. I've started to do a little bit of that, but, you know, certainly in the U.S. and all over the world, we've certainly seen some challenges around yes. uh, mm -hmm. public sector uh, values-driven leadership. So mm -hmm. it's endless. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I also so that, just want 
you know, I feel like GVV is an idea and nobody owns an idea. So I hope people like you and others yeah. who read about it will you just use it and expand it. You know, it doesn't have to be through me. You know, it, I call them, I call you GVV ambassadors. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good um, takeaway. <laughs> I'm a GVV ambassador. You are, um, you are, Rish. Yeah, and that's actually something that uh, that's actually the core of this podcast is to promote uh, GVV and also looking at how other other Filipinos um, have unknowingly maybe unknowingly practiced GVV and just surfacing it so that the younger generation would also see that it's possible that it's possible yeah. to act on your values. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I always tell people this isn't necessarily easy and it's not yeah. always going to work. But mm -hmm. we can get better right. at it, and yes. it's important. And this is the way we get better at it, through the rehearsal, through the pre-scripting, through yeah. looking for the positive examples, and mm -hmm. through building a, a wider and wider network of people who want to do this and begin to do it more naturally. A lot mm -hmm. of the practice means you bring the emotion down, so mm -hmm. it's normalized, it's more natural, mm -hmm. it's more automatic, you know, so, so that it doesn't always feel like this you know, uh, as we were talking earlier, like this big courageous act. Yeah, yeah. That's all for my questions. And um, I really would like to thank Professor Mary for joining uh, me today. Um, your book has really been very empowering and very inspirational. I, I actually am very, how do you call it, very honored when you replied oh. to my email. Uh, I wasn't expecting that you would reply that fast because I received your uh, automatic uh, vacation reply. Um, <laughs> and when I actually sent that message to you, uh, this podcast wasn't really like a full concept yet. I, it was just an idea. Like I had a crazy idea. Oh, maybe I could invite <laughs> uh, Prof. Mary to to discuss GVB with me. Um, but when you said yes, it actually <laughs> made me think, oh my God, I need to do something about it because she said yes already. <laughs> um, so that's something that really uh, actually is empowering me right now and making Good. me more inspired or inspiring me right now to Good, the good. I could, well, um, as the podcast work. develops, I'll be happy to come back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be, I'm, I'm really um, hoping that I could get as much story as possible so that, you know, in all the sectors, maybe in all different circumstances, we could see how GVV is being practiced uh, unknowingly or knowingly. Thank you, Prof. Mary, for joining me this morning My in your pleasure. case.